when you think you're hearing from God and you start following his voice and you you start making sacrifices to follow it. You start doing things, giving things up. And and as you do and as you start along this journey and as you make the decisions, you start seeing things go wrong and you find yourself in a place that's much more dry than you anticipated it to be. You don't find a place flying with milk and honey. Instead, you find yourself in a wilderness where there's no food, there's no water, no help, seemingly. And it may it makes you feel like God has forsaken you that and you start asking yourself, have I sinned? Is this why God is now forsaking me or, or and, and can I still trust that he is actually with me? Has he forgotten about me? And as these thoughts start flooding our mind, we start doubting whether we've ever heard from him ever in our past, because I really thought I heard from God. And even though I followed, it doesn't seem like he's with me. And we start doubting God, we start doubting our ability to hear his voice and everything that goes along with that. It's a really scary, a really dry place. But what if you're being tested in this moment? And what if how you are about to react to your dry surrounding will be determining blessing or curse for you? You see, brothers, sisters, Israel found themselves in this place many times. In fact, you know, I want to pick up in one of these times in Numbers chapter 20, where Israel is brought out and they're finding themselves in the wilderness out of Egypt and and they look around, they don't see water, they don't see food, and they say the following to Moses. Numbers 20 verse 4, and why have you brought up the congregation of the Lord into this wilderness that we and our cattle should die here? And wherefore have you made us come out of Egypt to bring us into this evil place? It is no place of seed or figs or vines or pomegranates. There is not any water to drink. You see, what is most interesting about what Israel is saying here is that they're calling this wilderness an evil place. The fact that they don't have access to their pomegranates and nice food and water and all these things in this dry place. It's not a place flying with milk and honey. Why, Moses, have you brought us into this evil place? But yet when we look at the Messiah, Yeshua, after his baptism and just before he entered his ministry, he went to the wilderness out of his own accord, choosing it. Why would he go to an evil place? Well, he didn't consider it evil. He thought of it as a blessing because see, a wilderness feels evil to our flesh because we are denied control. We are denied the ability to provide for ourselves. We feel it's a little scary. We feel unsafe because we now have to trust God for our even our most basic needs. That's where Israel found themselves in. But Yeshua, Jesus knew that for his spirit, that is good. 
for your flesh, your flesh is pressured and it doesn't like it. But for the spirit, man, and, and, and our relationship with God, it is good to be pressured. It is good to on the way to the promised land. On the way through, even when we when we think we're being led by the Lord, it is actually okay and even not evil, but good to go through a time and a place where it feels a little scary because we look around and we feel like our needs may not be met and we feel like we must rely on him with everything. That's good because you how else will you know? Whether the Lord is good. How else will you taste and see that he is good? Unless you have gone through a moment, a time and experience like Yeshua did when he was in that wilderness, where you will see that he is who he says he is. And so when we find ourselves in a wilderness place like this, where we thought we were following God, but yet we're in this place these questions start surrounding us of did God forsake us? Have we sinned? You know, is 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 it that we heard him wrong? Why is this happening to us? And we we are asking these questions because we're trying to understand because we when we don't understand why we are in a position that we're in, we feel like we don't have control to fix it. Because we think that if we have the answer to the why of where, why we're where we are, we can figure out how to make it stop and fix it. But sometimes what if it is that, you know, I actually want to say oftentimes, what if it is that we're in this position and in this place because God wants us to sit back and watch how he provides, sit back and look upon his goodness and his provision. Because see, to God, sometimes the journey is even more important than the destination that we are continuously looking to. We are looking to the land flying with milk and honey, what God looks to even more. I mean, he wants to provide us with that. But what he looks to even more is how he has the opportunity to refine us on the way there so that when we get there and we experience the blessings, we know at what cost it came. We understand how God was the one who took us through a wilderness to get there so that when we get there, we don't get all fat and happy on milk and honey to the point where we forget what it took and how God provided for us to get there. Because it's so easy for man to eat, to forget about God when things go well. And God loves us so much that he doesn't want us to think we can get along on with fine on without him because we can't. And so he will allow us to be taught the lesson that we must rely him with everything that we ever want, every need, whether we feel like we may have be in a position where every need may not be met and we're being pressured or whether we're in a position of prosperity and blessing in our life where we feel like we we have got things under control. You see, no matter what it is, no matter here's what we need to realize, brothers and sisters, is no matter what our environment looks like, our necessity 
to look upon the Lord and our dependency upon him will never is never supposed to shift one bit. Whether it's going well with us or not, our dependency on him must be the same. Because you're always absolutely dependent upon him. And because in a wink, everything can be taken away. Everything can change in your life. And so what we must do is we must stop. You know, sometimes we ask all these questions, but instead of asking God, did you forsake us? Maybe we should just trust God. Your character is good and continuously you and it, it, in, in, in your goodness upon my life, even though I have sinned, your goodness is so good that you promised that when I repent, you will forgive. And so not nothing can separate me from his goodness. And so we must be wary of the enemy's tactics to get us away from God and rather just focus on how God doesn't change and he wants to bless us. But sometimes we need to look at, Lord, what is the the lesson of this journey that you want to teach us? You see, brothers and sisters, what happens next in this story with Moses and Aaron becomes even more interesting because Moses and Aaron When they hear about this cry from Israel, why have you brought us out here to die? We have no water or food. They go in humility to God. They fall on their knees and they say the following. It says Numbers 20 verse 6. Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation and they fell upon their faces and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord spake to Moses saying, Take the rod and gather thou the assembly together, thou and Aaron, your brother, and speak to the rock before the, uh, their eyes, and it shall give forth water. And you will bring forth to them water out of the rock so that you will give the congregation and their beasts things, something to drink. Okay, so this is pretty simple. God, they come, they fall on their face before God in absolute humility. God tells them, go and speak to the rock and the rock will bring forth water. It sounds simple enough, right? But that's not what ends up happening. Instead, Moses goes ahead and he does something else. We read it in the next verse in verse 10. Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock. And he said to them, hear now, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice. And water came out abundantly and the congregation drank and their livestock. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel. Therefore, you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. This part of the story just seems bizarre. Why did Moses strike the rock twice instead of speaking to it? And Never mind that. Why were the consequences for doing so so extreme to the point where God tells him that he will not lead Israel into the promised land because of this mistake, which seems small in the grand scheme of things? You see, when we read about how Moses and Aaron conducted themselves after speaking to the Lord, when they came in front of Israel, it's 
quite interesting how the scriptures phrase they acted because they came out saying, Hear now, you rebels. Shall we bring water out of this rock for you? You see, there is a tone of arrogance, even in their speech. How they talk about you rebels, will we come and do this now for you? And not just the arrogance in their tone, but the fact that they're mentioning that they will bring water out of the rock for Israel. And followed by all of this, Moses strikes the rock. He doesn't speak to it because, well, speaking to a rock when you're so passionately arrogant probably wouldn't look as cool as when you struck it. And that's what Moses does. He strikes it. And I I just imagine that as Moses is being so arrogant, speaking this way, will we just bring water out of this rock for you, you rebels? And he strikes it. I imagine that there was an awkward silence for a moment when he struck it the first time, expecting water to come pouring out of it. But yet nothing happened. And there's probably this deaf silence across the crowd and Moses and Aaron looking at each other, kind of like, what is going on? Why is water not coming out? And Moses takes the staff again and he strikes it a second time and water pours out. And Israel, are they're happy because they get the water that they asked for. God does bless Israel with the water, but he does come to Moses and Aaron with a consequence for their action. But what's the big deal? Why is this consequence so great for Moses and Aaron? You see, when you look at the story carefully, you notice how when Israel comes to complain about having no water, the first thing Moses and Aaron does was very good in that they went to God and fell on their faces, prostrating themselves before him, asking for mercy and and provision. But when they leave the private prayer closet, if you will, with the Lord, their personal private time with him. And when they go out into the public in front of Israel, it's almost like they're conducting themselves completely differently from being humble before God asking for water. Now, suddenly, the moment they go out there, they're being extremely arrogant, taking credit and not even doing exactly what God said. They weren't acting in how they, how they acted in private with God. Their public life and acts were different from their private life and acts with the Lord. And God is not a fool. God is not someone who he shares glory with. He is not someone who he has favoritism upon and and he just lets things slide. He expects everyone, leader or lay person alike to act in humility, in private with him and in public, revering the name of the Lord so much that they would be humble, not only when they speak to God, but when they speak of God, that's what he expects of us. You see, sometimes as people, it can be easy for us 
to believe that because we have all these truths, because we have this relationship with God, God has blessed us in so many ways. And when I go in my prayer closet and I speak to him, you know what we what we get when we pray and alone and private to the Lord is we get his we feel his confirmations. We feel his backing. We feel he's on our side. And these are all good things because he is on our side. But what can happen is in that private place, we can carry that out into the public and we can get, grow in arrogance. We can think that God is so for us and all these other people are disillusioned. They don't know who that God is so for us. And we use this as a means of boasting, thinking God will have favoritism upon us. And we start praying things like, oh, God, prove them wrong. Oh, God, just show them how right I am and how wrong they are. And, and oh, God, just prove to them me, prove me to them. You know, when we start praying these prayers and having this, we're coming to the same place and mentality that Moses and Aaron had. Because Moses thought that because he had a private prayer life with the Lord and that kind of special relationship that he did have, that when he went out in public, he could flaunt it. He could say, oh, you rebels, let me show you what I could do. Let me show you my relationship with the God, with God. Let me prove to you how wretched you are and how good and squeaky clean and amazing me and, and Aaron is. But God doesn't allow that. In fact, this was Moses's greatest mistake that he likely ever made in his walk through the wilderness with God and with Israel. This mistake was dire. This would not only be the mistake that disqualifies Moses from taking Israel into the promised land. It will be the mistake that disqualifies Aaron from continuing to be a priest. We read this in Numbers 20 verse 24. Let Aaron be gathered to his people from he shall not enter the land that I've given to the people of Israel because you rebelled against my command at the waters of Meribah. And verse 28. And Moses stripped Aaron of his garments, put them on Eleazar, his son, and Aaron died there on the top of the mountain. Then Moses and Eleazar came down from the mountain. You know, the crazy part about this is that Aaron received his priesthood even after allowing that golden calf to be built at the base of Mount Sinai all those years ago. God, even after that, forgave Aaron and allowed him to have the priesthood. But now, after simply acting this way in public and regarding bringing forth the water, this is the moment. This is what actually causes Aaron to lose that priesthood. This action of Aaron was actually a greater sin than what happened at the golden calf. But how could that be? You see, the golden calf incident was horrible and wrong. They were pointing to this calf and this is this was a form of idolatry. However, what they just did at the waters of Meribah here was worse because they weren't just pointing to another idol of some sort. Now they were pointing to themselves. Aaron Moses was saying, we will bring forth water. Let us fix this problem for you, taking glory upon themselves, desiring to have the credit, desiring to exalt themselves, drawing this attention to themselves, while all of this had to be given 
to God instead and directed to God. And this was what disqualified Aaron and not only disqualified him, but caused his death. As they took off his garments, Aaron just died right there before they could even come down from the mountain. See, brothers and sisters, pride is the greatest form of idolatry. When we have pride in, especially even within our religion or doings or relationship with God, all these things, and we use God and mix him into our, pri- our pride and our desire to have self-exaltation. This is something that is such an abomination to God. It is a greater sin than just about anything else. And I am saying all this because as a warning, we have to be so careful about making the same mistake Moses and Aaron did, lest we be disqualified as they were disqualified. You see, it, it kind of reminds me also of many of today's pastors and preachers who have took it upon themselves to make his their ministry somewhat of a performance where just like Moses and Aaron went up there as they saw this as a performance. Hey, you rebels, we're going to bring forth water from the rock, striking the rock and trying to do this show for their for their own exaltation. So in this same way, many who are leaders, pastors, preachers or people of this sort have gone to try and make a performance of their ministry. And there's nothing wrong with allowing God to show off. There's nothing wrong with letting God bring forth water. Praise God. That would have been amazing. Nothing wrong with the miraculous and seeing miracles being done by the Lord. He loves doing that. He, he has done that all throughout and he will always want to do that. But it's when we take the credit for ourselves, do it for ourselves, our own exaltation. We desire the miracles. And what's interesting, though, is that even though Moses did this for the wrong reasons, he and he striked the rock once, he strikes the rock twice. God still brought forth water for Israel. Just because Moses was a flawed leader and he did things for a total wrong reason, he sinned greatly. That didn't stop God from blessing Israel, doing a miracle, bringing deliverance, providing the water. But even though Moses had this flaw in his character, God used Moses despite Moses. God brought forth water despite him. And so in the same way, I want to ask you the question. Yeah, God's going to work through you. And Moses could point back to the fact that water did still come through and say, well, look, it worked. Yeah, maybe I didn't do it right. I I struck it. I should have spoken to it, whatever. The point is we got the water. But that would have avoided the fact of that he did sin. He did wrong. God did it anyway, because God did it despite Moses, not because of Moses. And we want to make sure that God works because of us, through us, allow well, because we allow him to work through us because we're obedient in every way and not we don't want to work him to work through us despite how we act, despite our sins. 
It reminds me all of Luke 9 verse 54 about how the disciples walking with Yeshua wanted to rain down fire on the Samaritans. They wanted to make a name for themselves. They wanted it for their own self-exaltation. They wanted to make a show, a performance of it, not for God's glory, but for their own. And you see, now we can contrast this with Yeshua himself, because Jesus had the backing of angels everywhere he went. He had the ability to call upon God for Lord, just send angels. And God would have sorted any issue out very quickly for him because Yeshua was his only begotten son. But what did Yeshua do, even though he yielded this power? You see, we have this innate desire in us to be exalted and glorified and even worshipped as people. And that can come in the way of allowing God's will to be done. But he didn't. He said, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. And we read, for example, in Matthew 26, 53, do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send more than 12 legions of angels? But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? You see, Yeshua could have gone and just proven everyone else wrong to retain his image. He could have just called on Lord to to stop everything when he was on the way to being crucified, send his angels to save him. But he knew that that would have come in the way of God's perfect plan of salvation, God's will. You see, ultimately, we have to be careful because retaining our image, protecting our image, is not worth coming in the way of God's will. And we must be willing to be like Yeshua, who, who said this is who, who could thought, think to himself, this is unfair. Uh, this is unjust. This is not right. But yet he still went ahead and he allowed everything to be done to him for the sake of God's will to be done, because all injustice will one day be sorted out one day. All injustice will be made just when the judge sits on the throne. At the end of the day, brothers and sisters, his will rules above all. And his will is always good for us, good for our well-being, even if it doesn't feel like it, even if we feel like we're in a dry place, and we cannot fathom how this could be God's will. But his will is not always our will. That means that we won't want what he wants for us. But at the end of the day, we should, because his if we trust him and know his will is good, we can take comfort in it and trust even if we don't understand how that could be yet. But now I want to go just one step deeper because there's much more to the rock than just what's on the surface. You see, we see that Paul in our New Testament gives us an interesting hint about this when he talks about the rock. And he says this 1 Corinthians 10, verse 1. I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. Verse 4. And all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And the rock was Christ. You see, at the end of the day, it was Yeshua who brought forth the water. It was Christ who provided everything they needed for them. 
And that rock that Moses was striking instead of speaking to it was symbolic of Christ as well. You see, when Moses sinned in his pride and arrogance by hitting the rock, his sin, his pride, his arrogance was what caused Christ, the rock, to be struck. Because at the end of the day, we know he bore our sins. He was crushed because of our iniquities. Every time he was struck on the way to the cross, this was because of the sins of the world. Your sins, my sins and Moses's sins. And this is symbolic how Moses struck him, that rock. And then what happened after that rock was struck? Water comes out just like when Christ was on the cross. He was struck in his side and water and blood poured out of him, symbolic of the Holy Spirit that will be poured out upon all people and all people will experience him like God, like never before. They will taste and see that the Lord is good. But see, if Israel never went through what they went through, they would never have been able to taste and see that he is good. If they were never pressured that that way, they were pressured. But see, Moses should have spoken to the rock instead of striking it. In fact, Adam should have spoken to the rock instead of striking it. Peter, the apostle, should have spoken to the rock instead of striking it. And what do I mean by that? You see, in the garden, Adam and Eve sinned and their sin, like Moses' sin, was what ultimately caused, caused the rock to be struck, Christ to be struck. If only they did what God desired of them to speak to them. You see, right after they sinned, God came and walked through the, the garden calling their name. Why? It's not like God didn't know what they did because he wanted to reason to speak with them. You see, when Peter in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was being warned by Christ. He was being told, pray so that the temptation will not overtake you. Christ was warning him about the fact that he was about to deny him three times. He said, pray so that you can withstand the temptation to deny me. But what did Peter do? He fell asleep. You see, prayer is dialogue with God. It is speaking to the rock. And if only they spoke, if Peter prayed like Yeshua prayed that night, he would have not denied Christ, therefore striking the rock. If Adam and Eve spoke to God before after hearing about the temptation of the enemy. And if they only had a stronger bond and relationship with God, they would have not sinned striking Christ because they would have instead been speaking to him. What is the point? Simply that our prayer life is the alternative to our sin. If you are faced with sin, the answer is prayer. And so oftentimes the reason that people fall into sin is because of a suffering prayer life, because they're not speaking to the rock. They're only 
about to strike it. But if you speak to God, if you allow him to fill you, to give you all you need, you'll be able to resist the devil. But you won't be able to do that if you don't speak to him. Don't make the mistake of Peter, Moses, Adam, and the same mistakes that we have often done in striking the rock. Today, start a prayer life that is more, that is different, stronger than it's ever been. And you'll be able to have a relationship with God where you won't fall into the temptations and consequences of falling into temptation that Moses and Aaron faced. Because even though God did bring forth the water, that did not leave Aaron and Moses without consequence for their sin. The same way our sin has consequence, even though God's blessing often comes through despite us. And just as you would think that this is probably enough excitement for the day, Israel's mistakes don't stop here. In fact, not long after this, they now continue onwards after being satisfied by this water. And they come to a land of Edom and the land of Edom, the people of Edom, the king of Edom, they they come to Israel and they say, look, you guys, you can't pass through our land. We don't want you here. You need to go around and going around is a long way. And and this naturally is going to inspire the same kind of emotions that Israel probably felt earlier. Well, why, if we are being led by God, are we now being led to a nation, a people who don't want us to even pass through the land? Now we're wasting our energy. We're wasting our time. Like what's going on here? God, why is this happening? But see, as this is written in Numbers chapter 20 and the next chapter of chapter 21, we see why that they were diverted. And it had a lot to do with the first reason that they came into this dry wilderness. God was looking to test and see whether Israel was going to trust him. Because see, now after being diverted away, they were now taken to a different place. Numbers 21 verse 4 from Mount Hor. They set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom and the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water and we loathe this worthless food. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. Israel did not learn their lesson. Notice how the first time when Israel complained about not having water or food, God did not pass any judgment upon them. There was no curse, nothing like that. Israel was provided water. God did nothing but bless them to show them that they have a reason to trust him going into the future forward. But yet, since they don't learn that lesson, still don't trust God. Now they complain again. And this time, the second time, there is a curse. You see, God had grace and mercy upon them and on their cries the first time. But the second time was not just a innocent cry out of the ignorance of God's goodness. The second time of their complaining was now after they have experienced his goodness. And and there is now a consequence. There is now a curse. And these snakes come out and start biting the people. God tells Moses to do something very unconventional and probably a little controversial. 
He tells him to put a snake on a pole and let everyone who wants healing look upon it. But why did God tell Moses to take a serpent which represents sin? It represents Satan, the evil one. It's all the way from the garden. Why do that? I mean, couldn't have God chosen a better symbol? Why such a controversial symbol, in fact? You see, you need to really think deeper about what this all means. Because the first time we see serpents in this story is when Moses takes the staff and it turns into a snake in front of Pharaoh and his sorcerers. And God's snake eats up the snakes of Pharaoh. Proving something, proving a point, because see, you need to remember that Pharaoh, his hair, headdress has a snake, a cobra on the top of it. And his whole hair, headdress basically makes him look like a snake. Pharaoh in Egyptian mythology was seen as the snake, if you will, the serpent. And he was being feared by Israel because, well, Pharaoh was Israel's slave master. Israel was under the slavery of the serpent king, if you will. And Israel obviously had a fear of serpents and what they represent, because that's what Pharaoh was represented by. And so now they are. So they were enslaved by by the serpent king, if you if we could call him that. Now God comes, he shows I have power over the snake, over Satan, over Pharaoh, over sin, the kingdom of darkness. He sets Israel free from Pharaoh's grasp. But now in the wilderness, snakes pitch up again and start biting the people as we just read, because these serpents represent sin. You see, Israel's own sins. It's not that God, I mean, God doesn't just send a serpent to bite people. This was Israel's sin that caused the serpents to come. And so as these serpents come out and bite Israel, they are now again still, they find that they, while they were in, in slavery in Egypt before under Pharaoh, they're still in slavery to their own sins. They still have a bunch of Egypt in them. They are still slaves. And so the snake still has dominion over them, just like Pharaoh did, even though Pharaoh is not around anymore. But God comes and he sets, he, he, he says, take a serpent, put it on a pole, lift it up. You see, this is what happened, brothers and sisters. Our sins were placed upon the cross, upon Yeshua, and he was lifted up for all to look upon him whom they have struck, whom they have pierced. And as they look upon him, they get freedom, healing, deliverance from their sins, most of all, most importantly. And so, brothers and sisters, this is what God is teaching Israel. Look upon the son and who has borne the sins of the world, who has taken the punishment for you. And of course, this healing that comes just proves how the head of the serpent has now been crushed, just like all the way back in Genesis, it was prophesied to happen. 
But I have to leave you with this question. If God was going to instruct a prophet today to do what Moses did, to take a serpent, put it on a staff, lift it up, tell people to look upon it. A lot of people, I think, would be picking up stones. A lot of people would think that's a little too controversial. A lot of people would think, what is he trying to say? Why is he lifting up the snake, which represents Satan? And this does not count be a prophet of God. But yet Moses was a prophet of God and God did, in fact, tell Moses to do that. But God had a purpose. He wanted to teach something so deep that it couldn't be taught in any other way. My point is simply this, that just because God tells someone to do something that seems weird on the surface and strange and controversial, something that can maybe even seem that it couldn't be God that would say such a thing to do. We have to be careful because God has done things like this in the world before. And he can and will do things like this again. What is most important is that we can see that God did this. And this was not Moses' own inventions and ideas. Because Moses didn't tell Israel to worship the snake. He didn't tell Israel to revere it. He told Israel that God told him that if they look upon it, God will heal them. He did not take glory for himself in this case. He always, he in this case, pointed to God. And so we see that the signs of a true prophet is in Moses and everything Moses did. But we have to be careful in our discernments because so oftentimes I have seen believers see a symbol or something one of another. And I'm not saying that there aren't things that aren't good to do. There are certainly pagan symbols and pagan things and practices, of course. But let's be discerning about these matters and not be too quick to jump the gun or pick up stones and be quick to test things thoroughly before we make a call or judgment upon something that God may have instructed someone to do. Because I wouldn't want to have been the guy who picked up stones to try and stone Moses because he lifted up a serpent, even though God was the one who told Moses that because then I would be going against God, right? In all the, these things and everything that we have read, we see that God cares for his people. He desires blessing and no curse to come upon them. But for that to happen, we must trust him. Even when we're in darkness, we can't see where we're going. We're holding his hand and there's nothing else that guides us. And we don't even know if we're going to have a drink of water today. We don't. When we're in the most desperate place possible, that's one of the most blessed places to be for our souls, because we will learn that the Lord is good. We will taste and see that he is good. And how else will you be able to be a light to the world if you don't even know the light that is within you? How else? I want to encourage you that the Lord has always come through for me and the Lord will always come through for you if you trust him. If you do not rebel against him, if you continuously trust that he will provide and not say, not complain the ways that Israel did, allow him to show up, allow him to show his power and do the miracles that he has always done for Israel and will continue to do for you because he is not done with doing those miracles today. 
Father, I just thank you, Lord, that you come and do miracles in our midst. I pray that you would do the miracles of providing water from the rock for all your people listening to this who need water from a rock today. Lord, I thank you, Lord. We are trusting in you. We are saying even though it's dark and dry out here, we are going to trust you with our, our, our scenarios, our problems, our worries and fears. And we lay it on the altar and we say, God, we will trust you the way that we ought to. Father, I pray that you would draw us only more and more near to you in the midst of our trials. And I thank you that our trials aren't you punishing us. They are for our edification to actually draw us closer because you only want to be closer to us. So, Father, help us to trust you and speak to you, have a restored prayer life, one where we speak to the rock instead of striking it. We pray all this in the name of Yeshua, the Messiah. Amen. Shalom. Thank you for watching this video. I want to say a special shout out and thank you to our partners who have made this video and every other video this month possible. You can learn more about partnering with the ministry by visiting riseonfire.com.